Good morning, friends, and welcome all of you that are at Bush Lake and West Tonka and those that are online and everyone here gathered in our Chanhassen campus. Let us be one together as we jump into the second of our series called Longing for Better Days. And it's a series on mental well-being, faith, and flourishing. And I know you know this, but God made us to flourish. And we long to flourish, but sometimes our flourishing is slow because our mental health is low. <laughs> and we're seeking to come alongside and help us in this series, defining last week what is mental health, and we spoke about it being a heightened sense of concern, a diminished sense of control, and that over these weeks we wanna give you transformational truths and tools that help close that gap in life and journey. We also spoke of it last week that mental health isn't the extreme cases alone where there's need for medication and psychiatric care because we've often, often associated with that. But in fact, Henry Cloud reminds us that mental health disorders are mood disorders. Anybody ever have a mood disorder in your life? <laughs> We have mood issues, right? And so his point is, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we deal with these issues. All of us will deal with our emotional well-being. And in fact, it's affected by the choices we make and the consequences that come from them. That a lot of our mental health challenges are ourselves. Um, but then we also spoke that sometimes it's because of hard circumstances that we didn't see coming our way. Or sometimes it's because of um, difficult people who enter in a way we would never have expected them to enter in. And that's what's happening in the terror in Israel right now. Would you agree there's a heightened sense of concern and a diminished sense of control? I mean, their gap is this way right now. So before I jump into the message, can I give a word, please, on what's happening in Israel? And it's important that we do because we've been in touch with our partners every day since a week ago when this unfolded. And what we see is true. They describe it as unimaginable horror. Heightened sense of concern, diminished sense of control, definitely their reality. So I want to give a reminder today that we're not living in a neutral universe. That there is good and evil, and the stakes are high, and that evil wants to devour us. So when you hear the leader of Hamas last week declare last Friday as a global day of jihad to wipe out Jews all around the world, that's a very different voice than us who come and are identified by God through faith in Jesus Christ where we would declare a global day of blessing. There is a difference. And we have to be awakened to that. In fact, Peter says that our job is not to be afraid of evil and what it can do to us. Um, we have a different job. And that fear quotient actually is affirmed even in the Psalm, the famous Psalm, Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We are not, our job is not to fear evil. Our job is to be aware of it. That we are to be a people who are vigilant in terms of what is happening in the world and not clueless because evil is a smart force in the world. And left to itself in your life, it can outflank you if you're not paying attention. That's the vulnerability we have with evil. But it cannot and will not outflank Jesus Christ. And that is our confidence 
In Jesus Christ alone can we have this order of peace, even in the face of evil. Listen to the words of Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But in this world, you will have trouble and tribulation. He said this would be the reality. So if you have a notion, well, why is this happening? He said this would be the reality. But he says, take heart. Be of good cheer. Because this peace is in us. So when people come and they're saying, Joel, are you going to talk about end times? And I go, would it matter to you? Is that where we're going to give our energy? No, be prepared. Be vigilant. Be a person of peace in Jesus Christ. You're in good hands. And be a person of peace to those in our spheres of influence because that's what they need. We are the peace givers in this given world. And I'm so glad for that. One of our partners sent a note to us this past week and it included a statement from a Palestinian Christian woman concerning the conflict. In her words, as the world goes to war, we also take up weapons of peace, grace, and love to stand in contrast to the powers of darkness. Friends, we are the light of a broken world, a world of trouble and tribulation. I just invite you to be a bold light and a peaceful light in terms of who Christ is in us and what he is for us. So I would like us, before I jump into the message, just take a moment of silent prayer. Before we pray, can I give you a multiple choice? It's going to be a shorter silent prayer. You can't do all four, but I'm going to give you four options. Would you choose one of these? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, if that be your, your desire. Pray for hostages and what they're going through right now, and that they would be released. Pray for innocent civilians. Can I say Jewish and Palestinian? And Pray for our partners who are on the ground seeking to bring that peace. Could you choose one of those in a moment of silence, please? And at all of our sites, let's just join together. Posture yourselves with humility. Say, oh God, we're going to bring arrows of prayer. Hear us pray as the Lord has prompted you. Thank you, God, for being the smartest force on the planet of the earth um, and bringing peace in the midst of tribulation. And we are people of peace. Might we stand in that place, hear our prayers. We've offered them to you, the God of peace, revealed in Jesus Christ, experienced through the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining me with that. Well, it seems to me that the title of this series established so long ago is spot on right. We are longing for better days, right? We're longing for better days. So we want to do that. The title of my message today is don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. And the message theme I want to give to you, we are created for connection, but we drift toward isolation. Say those words with me. We are created for connection, but we drift toward isolation. At all of our campuses, could you say that with some conviction? Like this is a truth coming from the word of God into your heart right now. Say it again. We are created for connection, but we drift 
toward isolation because it speaks to the inclination of our heart that isolation decelerates well-being, but connection accelerates well-being. So we want to step into that created place that God has to us to know that we are created for this kind of connection. I don't know if you saw last week Carson Daly of The Voice and of um, the NBC show, The Today Show, um, came up because last Tuesday was a, a day of mental health day across the country. I didn't even know that when we planned the series, but I go, wow. And there is an event in New York called Project Healthy Mind. And Carson Daly spoke at it vulnerably about his own mental health struggles, particularly with persistent panic attacks. And if you know someone who's been in that place, it's just, you feel so helpless. And he was vulnerable, and he said, you know, I had tried so many things to help, and a little here and a little there, it was help, but I was drawing myself in. That is, we have a drift toward isolation. And he was experiencing it, and he was moving toward some desperation. And he said, the single most important thing I learned was I opened up, and I spoke with a friend. I talked to a friend. Don't go it alone. Talk to somebody. Even though the gravitational pull draws you inside because we're created for connection even though we drift toward isolation. And so we, in this journey, are learning what it means to be together when we have these real issues that are part of our life. We're not living in a wishful world like these things don't exist. They do exist. Let's be a church that heals in these given places. And so last week, I also spoke around this reality that many times mental health by those who are in the social science world diagnose it as the no casserole illness. Remember that if you were here? And the idea is we do really quite well as the church to respond to needs of people that we understand and we'll care for them and we'll even bring them a casserole being a metaphor, kindness and, and goodness and encouragement to them in their journey. But when it comes to mental health, we're a little out of water on that one. We aren't always sure what to do or how to care so we just kind of distance ourselves and we detach ourselves and we, we don't bring a casserole. And we're left in that vulnerable place. But I tell you, everyone who's dealing with mental health challenges, um, they feel our distance. And they want to feel connection. But they may not know how to enter into it. In fact, even David, the great psalmist, I mean, the man after God's own heart, I mean, he knew connection, but he had his moments of darkness. And this is how he described it. In the psalm, he says, my heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay away from me. They don't bring me a casserole, is what David is saying. You can see it, you know, his strength is little. The light from his eyes. When you meet with people who are downtrodden, it's like the sparkle isn't there that you're used to seeing. That they, they've left him alone, and he feels that but he wants their kindness and their encouragement in the midst of it. I think the reminder is just don't leave people alone when they're hurting. Let's, let's pay attention. Don't leave them alone when they're hurting. In fact, I gave an assignment last week to be kind to somebody. Discern in your sphere of influence because likely there's at least one person who's dealing with some weighty mental health challenges right now. Express an act of kindness. Send a card. Give a phone call and bring a casserole if that be your desire figuratively, you know, speaking. But we're hearing stories of that. If you didn't get it done last week, would you do it this week? Let that be a pattern over this week, that we're, these weeks that we're going to bring kindness. That is, don't leave people alone when they're hurting, but also don't go it alone if you're hurting. Because that's our bet. When we feel off, we tend to put ourselves in a place where we 
distance ourselves from others and we're drawn from deep within ourselves. Now you have to raise the bar of intentionality. And as Carson Daly says, you, you have to open up and talk with someone. Don't go it alone. In fact, I wanna ask the question, why not go it alone? And there's a lot of reasons, but I wanna give you two big reasons why you don't wanna go alone. First is, God made us for community. That is, life is better, our emotional well-being is better when we are connected with others. And it's such an important battle for us that it's given a lot of attention in research right now related to the brain. Dr. Kurt Thompson, along with other scientists and psychiatrists, have been working for 20 years in groundbreaking research at the particle level of the brain to communicate how important our relationships are. The field is called interpersonal neural biology. And it really, in simple terms, speaks about the body, the mind, the brain, and how it intersects with relationship. Biology, the study of body, uh, the body, neural, our neural systems connected from our spinal cord throughout are triggered by our interaction with people. And the science that they're finding is really quite incredible. This interdependence of mind is so important that the, um, the neural activity of the brain um, when we're in relationship turns on or off on the basis of those interactions so the neural activity can do amazing things. What they're learning is that the brain can actually change. It can reorganize. It can regenerate. It can rewire. I couldn't think of any other rewords, but you fill in the blank. A lot of good happens when we are deeply connected with people. From the time we come into the world, it's impacting our brain activity so that brain and mind and body are connected to those personal relationships, developing in a way that we can even find help and hope in those deepest struggles of mental health as we learn to step into those practices. I think those things are biblically foundational. In Romans 12, we learn the words, um, don't be conformed to the ways of this world. Be vigilant and be aware that the ways of this world and interaction with it impacts your emotional well-being, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that is in Christ Jesus. He gives us a new paradigm to how we connect with God, with him, and with each other that allows the brain to be restored toward its original intent even in the Garden of Eden where there was goodness all over the place. It truly does matter how we interact with people and how the, man, the mind can adapt to it. Over the last 48 hours, um, Carrie and I have felt this in a very personal way because our granddaughter is currently this weekend at Children's Hospital out of something that emerged serious earlier in the week. We thought it could just be taken care of. It wasn't. They said, get her to children's. She's at children's. She's three years old. She goes to children's hospital. I'm not going to get into the details, and she's going to be well. I want to tell you that. But Friday night, they lay her on a narrow table, and they strap her head because they're going to do a CT scan on her. Now she's strapped, a little three-year-old, to this little table, and she is completely terrified. And she expresses her terror and mom can hardly handle it. She's almost at the verge of fainting. She can't even be in the space. And dad feels so utterly helpless. He just weeps as he hears his little girl. And I'm a granddad. I'm feeling it in this moment too. Didn't expect that. But I'm feeling it in that moment to be there with them. And, you know, she has to go through this donut-shaped machine. And so she's going through the donut-shaped machine. But I'm telling you, she comes out on the other side. Amazing. The care of 
those care workers, the comfort they provide, the tender love of mom and dad. I mean, the princess stickers and the real donuts they gave to her on the other side of the donut machine. <laughs> it was astonishing. It was a big bounce back in relatively short order. No, the interaction of the brain and relationships is so important to how we manage our emotional well-being. And that's what they experience. So neuroscience is showing how relationships help us navigate the whole range of our emotions, especially the afflicted ones and the troubling ones. In other words, I need your brain to help my brain manage my emotional impulses. Don't go it alone. We really need each other to find how to properly navigate these things we think so deeply and feel so deeply about. Just by virtue of your empathy, by virtue of your concern, by virtue of your, um, your connection with me as a person or with other people, a spouse, a friend, whatever the case might be, all of a sudden I begin to regulate all those emotions that overwhelm my body in my mind, but the brain adapts through these interactions. So I can, I can be afraid like little Charlie Grace was on Friday night and still be okay. That I can be angry and still be okay. That I can feel sad and even embarrassed and still be okay. So that if I'm in relationship with somebody, a dad, a mom, a friend, whatever, and I'm able to share my story and they're able to step into my story with good feedback and ask questions why you're feeling what you're feeling, just the expression turns the neurons on and off and helps us regulate our emotional well-being. Isn't it extraordinary that God made the body to heal itself through relatively simple practices um, as we step into them and learn them. Not all of them we have to, because they're serious dimensions. It's, just, it's a continuum, to say the least. But if I'm not interacting, if I'm not putting words to my feelings and my thoughts, and they're kept deeply within here, and nobody's asking me about my feelings and thoughts, what happens? I start to disconnect. I start to be overwhelmed with all the things I have to do, and I start to flood. And anxiety rises Heightened sense of concern, diminished sense of control. No, part of closing the gap is don't go alone. We need people to help close that gap, to regulate our emotional well-being. Otherwise, we're going to have a brain that keeps track of the pathway. Oh, I have to go to disconnection, and I have to go to anxiety, and I have to go to depression. It becomes the track of the mind to say, this is who I am, versus letting it be stimulated. I can manage this. I can regulate this. I may need some help, but I'll go there. So don't go alone because God made us for community. And can I tell you, the Bible is only confirming what science is showing out the last 20 years. Anybody surprised by that? Can I walk you just flip through the first three pages of the scriptures, Genesis chapter one? God makes man from the dust so that we're a body. And then God breathes life into the body. And then God says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a helper. Friends, we are made in the image of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who are connected in community so that we would be connected in community ourselves. And we're finding that rhythm in Genesis 1. We're made to, to be known and to know each other. But then turn the page to Genesis 2. You find this beautiful statement. It says, Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. Look at all the shame we put with this reality today. I'm not suggesting we take our clothes off. Anyway. 
I'm just saying they were unashamed. That there was yet no consciousness related to sin because there wasn't sin. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was a freedom. There was an openness. There was a transparency that they had with each other. They were connected because they were safe. That's chapter 2. Turn the page to chapter 3, and wow, the wheels come off like this, and everything falls apart. It opens up with sin being introduced into the world, and following sin comes guilt and shame. Their whole posture and freedom toward one another changes. They're no longer open and transparent. In fact, I call it the fig leaf position. They're in a place of hiding from each other and from God because that's what we do. Our brokenness distances us from each other. And God asks that most penetrating question in Genesis 3. Where are you? Boy, if that isn't a question for today. Friends, where are you? Are you hiding from God? Are you hiding from each other? Where are you? Such a penetrating question, Genesis 3, that our relationships are now wounded and we're vacillating between this given place, this impulse to reveal ourselves, um, but then to protect ourselves. We vacillate from that impulse of um, being known and staying hidden. We're created for connection, but we drift toward this isolation. But Jesus enters, and he takes that which is marred, he renews the mind, so it starts to recover from all this brokenness, and we start to connect with God and each other in whole and holy ways, and goodness flows, and flourishing comes out of our life and our journey. Don't go it alone, because God made us to be in community and to connect with each other. That's one big reason you don't want to go it alone. The second big reason is this. Without community, you believe the dark voices in your head. If you've been at Western for a long time, I have named my dark voices, and I give the name of my dark voices, anybody? Monkeys. I have monkeys in my head. I can handle one or two chirping here and there, but man, sometimes it's a whole family, and they invite other families over into my head, and it just creates so much confusion when the monkeys start to get too loud in your head, and something happens to us in that place. We find that they, they, you start to believe the voices of the monkeys, and you start to feel like you're helpless. And so they start to define who you are without you even realizing it. And it affects your mental health. And instead of directing the monkeys, they're directing you. And you define yourself by your struggle and your weakness rather than by your beauty and your belovedness. But God made you with beauty and belovedness. But no, I'm this and I'm that. I'm broken. I'm all of these. We let that be our first step of identity. No, we are the beloved sons and daughters of the living God. Say amen to that. I mean, this is a gift that God gives to us related to our identity. We need that gift so much in this given day and in every day of every time, to say the least, we need it. And so the result of all of this is that flourishing um, slows. It just slows. And I can't be who God wants me to be because I get the monkeys in my head pulling me into gravitational dark places. And I don't do the things that I, I really want to do. I just don't have the energy. I don't have the motivation. You know, I, th these dark voices are there. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great theologian, 
and thinker, um, wrote a book on spiritual depression, and he just lands this thing. This is what he says. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You're listening to those voices, and they're influencing you more than you speak to those voices. And he's essentially saying, stop listening to the voices and speak out up and against those voices and declare who you are. Like the psalmist, and the psalmist, I think, did it so powerfully. He says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why is there so much turmoil within? Hope in God. He tells himself, hope in God. He's speaking to himself. All these things that are pulling me down, I called it last week, follow the resistance. There's a root cause. And when you have these feelings, they rise up into your throat and your chest, and you can feel it. And oftentimes, we just stop there. We don't want to go further. We must go further. Define the cause. And then we'll struggle less with ourselves if we can put a name to the pain that's putting us in this given place. He does this. He says hope in God. He, he reclaims his hope. is not in the circumstances or the people around him, but in God alone. And then through people who come alongside with God to that partnership. But Kurt Thompson goes on to actually speak about this in depth, and we have resources available online. We'll get to that later, but he just says what happens in our brain is we start to think that things like depression or anxiety or fill in the blank become an independent thing from our story, from our choices, from our actions, from our behaviors, and we become very vulnerable to that given end. And we want to be vulnerable. And so he gives this encouragement to get to the root of the cause. He says it's just easier to start to look at things outside of ourselves rather than look in the mirror inside of ourselves to find out what is truly wrong with what we're going through. So oftentimes we'll default to prescription um, and get medicine, which by the way, can I say, it's really essential for people. It's really helpful for people. But we're living in a day, and there's a lot of news about it, that we're overprescribed in our culture. And that we haven't done as much work to get to the root cause that we could get on the solution side of. And the brain can adapt and bring that kind of healing and hope. In other words, we start to think um, that, that that's all that's there for me outside. And we distance ourselves. We become independent from the very thing itself. When in fact, we can do so much more than we realize. So we use words like, hey, I tell my doctor I'm dealing with depression. I'm dealing with anxiety. We use words. But sometimes words start to use us. And we start to think, well, that's my identity. No, there's so much more. And we have to uncover the more. C.S. Lewis, a um, fan of his writing, says something really profound. He says, hell is the place where we build our houses further and further and further away from each other. Whew. So he's saying, when we have our hurt, we distance ourselves. When we're in broken places, we detach ourselves from others. We come further and further away. We just look for exit strategies. And the inverse is to be true. If we were to build our homes or our lives closer and closer together, in proximity, something happens into the brain, not always comfortable. The brain activates, turning on those neurons, um, on and off. And all of a sudden, we start to find um, ways to be together, to care together, to love together. And beauty and goodness flow from that. He gives a couple of great examples to this. There's the example that he gives related um, to home life. He's raising kids, and he says, when my kids come home, um, I have them do a couple of things. One, I have them um, share one good thing and one hard thing from the day. And they, it's required. 
You don't eat supper without sharing. <laughs> it's part of the journey. Moms and dads, I think, pay attention to this because what they learn is kids are what? Processing all of those emotions from the day, the good and the hard. And now there's feedback helping them to regulate that emotional pulse. So they get the skill set of knowing how to deal with those emotions that are deep within versus being defined by them so we get paralyzed and can't move. Great little simple thing you can do at home. Then he also tells the story about marriage counseling. I could not believe he told this story. Um, and he says he does this with almost every couple that comes in for marriage counseling. And I go, I'm trying to imagine myself doing this. And I go, I'm, it invades my comfort zone, but I go, what a cool concept. I'm going to tell you about what he does. He meets with them. They're at odds with each other. They don't even like each other when they come to see him. They're spending a lot of money to see him. And so he gets to know their story. And then somewhere along the way to second or third session, he does something as they come in. He has them sit down on chairs with their knees facing each other. And they're mad at each other. They resist. I'm not doing that, they're thinking in their head. <laughs> I'm not doing that. And he can feel their resistance. But he says, no, no, you're not leaving until we do this. I just can't imagine even saying that. You're not leaving until you do this. They're needed to They don't want to do this. So he has them pause, and he has them take cleansing breaths. Six of them in one minute. And they're facing each other, and he gives this assignment. For the next five minutes... I want you to gaze at each other, not stare at each other, but gaze at each other with loving kindness. And they resist more. <laughs> they don't want to do that. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. So he has them breathe again. Six cleansing breaths over the course of the minute. Five seconds in, five seconds out. He gives them this breathing place. And he says, you can start your exercise. He says, the first two minutes are so uncomfortable. You just feel their anger. But he says there's a turning point halfway through. And the last two minutes, they can't stop. Maybe for the first time in a long time, they're experiencing what is deep inside. I really do love you, and I really do care for you. And they don't want to stop at the end. He has to break them up afterwards. I just thought, what an amazing thing. This morning, if we would have had time, I really thought, let's just turn our chairs toward each other and give it a good shot. What would happen in the relationships here, but what would happen to the church of Jesus Christ? We would grow in loving kindness. Just a couple of good things you can do. So we're created for connection, but we drift toward isolation. Encouragement is don't go it alone. That God made us to be in community. And without community... The monkeys in our head will continue to create that confusion for us. So don't go it alone, but do go with others. How do you do that? A couple examples. Serve someone with a need other than your own. All the research shows something happens to the brain, and it's a feel-good deal because the, the brain activators release serotonin, dopamine, um, endorphins. When you serve somebody, it gets you out of your head. It's an amazing thing to see. Well, how you feel after you serve somebody. It, it gets you into a place where you're not just concerned about personal development professionally in your life. You're, you're, you're seeing the physical benefits of what happens. It feels good to serve, doesn't it? So many people serve here every week, and you have a feel good. You're doing something good for the body of Christ. It's a great way to go. Secondly, get in a geo group. That is, a geo group just allows that place of community where connection happens. We provide that structure for you. We know the inclination is to isolate, but no, we're created to connect. So get involved with a group if you're not in a group. It's a place where you can know and be known, where you can love and be loved, where you can serve and be served. It's such a beautiful gift for us to enter into that. And then release your story. That your story is really powerful. So many people, when you're dealing with mental health, say, I have no value. I have no value. I am of no value. But your story is powerful. 
And when you share your story with a friend, God does amazing, great and good things in it. So I want to encourage you, establish friendship with others. Don't go it alone. And you got to look to Jesus, who really helped us best and most on this. He did not go it alone. Um, we find that we were meant in relationship. You see it with David had Jonathan. Uh, Naomi had Ruth. Moses had Aaron. Paul had Timothy. Jesus had John. And he goes the distance for us. You know that he struggled with darkness. You know that he sweat blood in the garden. You know that the darkest day in all of humanity was on a hill called the skull after he, Jesus himself, said, why have you forsaken me? Or he's in that place of just saying, it is finished. And then um, the tomb is sealed with this, this stone, and it looks like it's all over with, but it's not all over with. He will rise again from the dead. Yes, the Father is with him in it, but John is there at the foot of the cross with him too. And he gives intimate instruction for John because he knows that our connection really truly matters. And he's saying that to us. He went there for me and you and for us. So when you're walking in a dark place, he's walking with you. When you're praying desperate prayers, those are his prayers with you. That you will never walk through anything in your life, no darkness that he himself has not already endured. He will hold you up. He will restore you. And the brain will follow the beauty of what God created in that little space to help us find help, hope, and healing. So let me pray, and then we'll be done. Would you join me by just opening your hands? We always want to have that posture of receptivity. God, thank you for the reality of love that comes to us in Jesus Christ. What a gift. And we know you made us to connect, to be in community, but we also know that we have this stinking thing called sin man it gets in the way of everything and it causes us to isolate and distance ourselves from you and others detach ourselves from you and others and lord we we don't want to detach we know the inclination of our heart is to connect may we do that through the power of jesus christ and the holy spirit who indwells make us a people that heal better by being together that we would honor you by being with you and for you as you are with us and for us to your honor and glory. Thank you for being a God of peace who gives us connection and community in Jesus' name.